0: So, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Jonah, book of Jonah. We will read verses 1 through 3. Show of hands, has anyone, has anyone heard a sermon series on the book of Jonah before? Raise your hand. Yes? TJ? Anyone else? Dan? A couple? Yeah, I'm really excited to study this book with you all. Uh, Justin and I will... Uh, we will take turns more or less preaching through this book. So the book of Jonah, I'll read verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Amen. be to God. The table is set, the food is ready. It's time for dinner. And a father says to his toddler, Come, let's let's wash hands before dinner. And the toddler hears, understands, and runs in the opposite direction. For the record, that's a purely hypothetical story. Nothing like that ever happens in our house. But think with me about that relatable story. Why did the toddler disobey? Was it because he didn't hear his father? No. Was it because he didn't understand his father? No. Was it because the father's command was evil and malicious? No. The toddler heard, he understood, and he ran away. As we start the book of Jonah, as we look at these first three verses together, what do we find? We find a prophet who hears God's word, who understands, and who runs in the opposite direction. Does that sound like the toddler in my story? Does it sound perhaps like, like us? The book of Jonah, as we'll see, is like a mirror. I don't need to tell you that when you look in a mirror, you see your own reflection. As we look together at the book of Jonah, who will we see? We will see ourselves. We are just like Jonah. We are like him in all of his sinfulness and weakness. But the book of Jonah is not only like a mirror, I think it's also like a window. Perhaps you can come up with a better metaphor, but that. That helped me. It's like a window in the sense that it lets in the light. It lets in God's light. It lets in God's light into a dark room, a dark um, basement bedroom, perhaps. The book of Jonah is like a, like, like a window letting in that light, the light of God's compassion, specifically. A boundless compassion for Jonah, for the nations, for people like you and me. So, as we'll see tonight, Jonah is not the only one who runs from God, and we'll also see that Jonah's God of boundless compassion is our God too. For tonight, here's our our simple outline. In verses 1 and 2, the word comes, and in verse 3, the prophet runs. The word comes, and the prophet runs. Runs. So first, the word comes. Verse 1 tells us this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying... Who is Jonah anyway? In this verse, we we don't learn a lot. We learn more when we turn to 2 Kings. I included this passage in your worship guide. It's on page 2. So if you have your worship guide, flip back to page 2. Here's what we read in 2 Kings. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Libo Hamath, as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Here's what I want to point out from this passage. Jonah was a faithful prophet. He was a faithful prophet. The borders of Israel were restored according to God's word spoken by Jonah. Jonah, let me say it again. Jonah was a faithful prophet. He was a faithful prophet. We're not certain, but this, referring to 2 Kings, this may have been Jonah's earlier ministry. In other words, Jonah goes to Nineveh after what's recorded in 2 Kings. So first is 2 Kings, and then later, the book of Jonah. We're not sure, but if that timeline is true, Think about the implications. In the book of Jonah, we find a man who was once faithful, now fallen. The prophet who had faithfully served God, now runs from God. He had been faithful. There's a lesson to be learned here. I think the Apostle Paul captures it when he says, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. I'll, say, I'll read that again. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. In his early, earlier ministry, would Jonah ever have dreamed that he would one day literally run from God? That he, the very, the very prophet, the very mouthpiece of God, would, would forsake his God? Would he have ever dreamed of doing that? But how many of us have sinned in ways that we could never have imagined? How many of us have done things, said things, desired things that we would never have imagined years before? Our obedience to the Lord today is no guarantee of our obedience tomorrow. Pastor theologian Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. He says, It is one thing to begin... Another to continue and yet another to finish the course. It's one thing to begin the race. It's another to continue it. And it's another thing to finish the race. Are you standing today? Paul says, take heed, take heed. Brothers and sisters, let us take heed lest we fall. Let's turn now to verse 2. Verse 2 says, well, the Lord says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Nineveh. Jonah knew about Nineveh. The prophet Nahum speaks of the Assyrians' unceasing evil. So Nineveh was a city in the Assyrian empire. Nahum, the prophet Nahum, speaks of the Assyrians' unceasing evil. Nineveh, the great, important, leading city, was known and feared by Israel. Jonah knew who God was talking about. He knew of Nineveh. Yes, Jonah, go to, go to that Nineveh? Go to that Nineveh? Why? For their evil has come up before me. Their evil has come up before me. Now, if you have your Bible, you might have a footnote after the word evil. That's because the word has two senses. If you have that footnote, you'll you'll see what I mean. First, that word can mean evil, like wrongdoing or lawlessness. But it can also mean disaster or trouble or calamity. So one word can refer to evil or disaster. And in this context, it's probably not either or, but, but both and. So as one commentator puts it, Nineveh was an evil city which had suffered misfortune. Nineveh was an evil city that had suffered disaster. Bad things were happening to this evil city. We know from other sources that there were misfortunes at this time of history. Those misfortunes included famines, rebellions, even a solar eclipse. So the people of Assyria were facing calamities, and they were evil. The Lord says, their evil has come up before me. Go, arise, go to Nineveh. So, what do we learn in this verse? We learn first that the nations are accountable to God. God does not overlook the unceasing evil of the world around us. He he notices. He knows what's going on in Nineveh. No person, no dictator, no nation will ultimately get away with their evil. God knows. He sees. God says to Jonah, look, I'm paying attention. Go to Nineveh. As the book of Ecclesiastes says, God will bring every deed into judgment. God will bring every deed into judgment. So the nations are accountable to God. But we also learn something else. And I think this might be the more surprising truth, the more sanctifying or refining truth for us. The nations are accountable to God, but God is compassionate toward the nations. Instead of incinerating Nineveh on the spot, which he could have done, remember Sodom and Gomorrah, God gives the city, this great city, a chance to repent. He gives them a chance, an opportunity to repent. His posture toward Nineveh, toward the nations, is one of, it's one of compassion. Our God is compassionate toward the most sinful sinners, So, here's what we've seen so far. In verses 1 and 2, the word comes, and it's a good word. It's a gracious word from God. He's giving Nineveh a chance to repent. Next, in verse C, in verse 3, we see the prophet who runs. Listen again to verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee from, to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Notice a key phrase that begins and ends this verse. There's a phrase that begins and ends the verse. It's the phrase, from the presence of the Lord. Let that sink in. Jonah is turning his back on God from the presence of the Lord. Notice another word, and this one is repeated three times. It's the word Tarshish. You may remember that in Isaiah 6, the word holy is repeated three times by the, I think it's the the angels, the cherubim and and the seraphim. Holy, holy, holy. It stresses God's holiness. In case you missed it the first or second time, our God is holy, really holy. Well, this verse tells us three times where Jonah is headed. It's how the verse stresses the magnitude of Jonah's disobedience. In case you missed it the first time or the second time, do you know where he's going? Nineveh's that way, Tarshish is that way. He's going the very opposite direction. It's stressing, look, this is how bad, this is how bad it is. He is running from God. So, for a few moments, I want to reflect on this verse together. We can learn a lot just in verse 3. I want to point out five things that we can learn, and later we'll have a, have a, Q&A, a Q&A time. Uh, I'd love to hear what else what else comes to your mind as you look at this verse. But here are five things that we can learn about sin. In this verse, first, we see the moral nature of sin. Jonah's problem is not physical. He doesn't need hearing aids. His problem is not intellectual. He knows what God is telling him to do. No, his problem is an inner problem. A moral problem. It's a problem of his heart. He knows what God wants, but he doesn't want it. Does that ring true with your experience? The problem is so often that we know exactly what God commands, we know exactly what his word says. We know what pleases him, and we choose to not do it. Like the toddler in my earlier story, we hear, we understand, and we run. No, my name will be hallowed. No, my kingdom will come. My will will be done. So, in Jonah's running, we're seeing the moral nature of sin. It's a problem in our hearts. Second, we see the direction of sin. Did you notice the direction of Jonah's flight? It's not only west, but direction in another sense. In verse 3, we read that he went down to Joppa, and then he went down into the boat. Later in chapter 2, Jonah will speak of going down into the belly of the fish. Down, down, down. The word is repeated for a reason. He's, he's literally going down, but it's also a picture of what's happening spiritually. He's going down as he runs from God, the direction of sin is always down toward death. It's never upward. Sin is never toward life. It's always down. The direction of sin. Third, we see the cost of sin. The, the, the verse, the text, literally says that Jonah paid her price. So he paid the fare. Literally, that's her price. He paid her price. Could it be, we're not sure, could it be that Jonah had to buy the entire boat to go to Tarshish? He may have. He may have bought the entire ship. We're not sure of that, but he may have. He paid her (coughs) price. Even if he didn't buy it, still, it would have cost him an arm and a leg to get to the other side of the Mediterranean. So whether he bought the ship or simply had to pay the fare, it was a lot of money. And here we see a sobering, unsettling picture of our sin. We will spend our money, God's money, to run from him. Think about that. We will spend our money... Sometimes it's, something, it's on something that's outright sinful. We'll spend our money on it. We may spend our money on something that's good, that's become our God. Either way, we are just like Jonah, paying a price, paying money to run. So, are there ways in which we are paying a price for sin? Are there ways in which we are literally... Paying to sin. Fourth, we see God's providence in our sin. Think about this with me. Think about it. Jonah happened to find a ship headed for Tarshish. Why was that ship there? God could have ordained all the ships to be out of harbor. Jonah could have gone to Joppa, no ships, all right? Next one, no ships. Anyone going as far west as possible? God God could have frustrated his plans, but he didn't. He didn't. There was a ship going to the other side of the Mediterranean. Why? Why did God ordain that ship to be there? Here's... Here's the point. When we really want to sin, God often gives us the means to do so. Not always. Let me say that again. When we want to sin, when we really want to sin, God often gives us the means to do so. If someone really wants to throw something in anger, there's usually something within reach. Uh, If I really want to complain... I can usually find something to complain about. If I want to run, and if I want to be my own God, there's usually some way to do it. There's a ship within reach. So why did God in his providence provide this ship? Why does God in his providence permit the means for us to run from him? Why does he do that? It's certainly not to give Jonah or any one, of it, any one of us an excuse to sin. It's not an excuse. No, God uses that ship, whatever it is, to test us and to show us what's really in our hearts. It's not an excuse, it's a test. Will you run from me? Fifth and finally... And I think this will, this will be so clear to you all. We see the folly of sin. The utter folly of sin. Did Jonah really think that he could get away from God? Did he really think he could get away from God? Does a toddler really think that he can, su- can successfully run away from his parent? Do you and I really think that we can succeed in sinning? Whatever it is coveting lusting hating complaining worrying or any other sin do we really think that we can do it whatever it is and 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 succeed and be blessed and have life does a toddler think he can run away from his parents does Jonah really think he can run away from God do we think we can do it and get away with it but we can't we can't as we'll see in this story We can't get away from God, but we try anyway. In Jonah, we see the utter folly, the foolishness of our sin. So we see a lot in this verse. But as we get to the end of it, it leaves us with a pressing question. What will happen to Jonah? Now pretend that you don't know the rest of the story. (laughs) Pretend with me. What will happen to Jonah? But let me say it this way. What will happen to Jonah? What will happen to him? There should be a hint of terror in that question. What will happen to him? He is running from God. He's running from God. He turned his back on the Lord. Think of the judgment that his sin deserves. Think of it. He is running from God. What will happen to him? What will God do? But let's take the question a step further. If I'm right about the book of Jonah, if it's like a mirror showing us ourselves, if each one of us, like Jonah, has run from God, then the question is not only what will happen to Jonah, but what will happen to me? What will happen to people like us? What will happen to people like Jonah? What will happen to us? Guess you have to come back next time to find out. <laughs> the story keeps going. <clears throat> no, what will happen to Jonah? The story does keep going. But we find just a hint, just a hint of hope in verse 2. Just a hint. This will be developed throughout the book. But it's here. God is giving Nineveh a chance to repent. Nineveh. If God is compassionate toward the great city of unceasing evil, then perhaps, do you think maybe, just maybe, God will be compassionate toward Jonah? If God is looking on the, the Ninevites and giving them a chance to repent, is there a chance that he'll, he'll give his prophet a chance to repent? Will the Lord be compassionate to you and me? Will the father be compassionate toward his toddler who's running away? So it's questions like these that really take us to the heart of the gospel. Yes, the God of boundless compassion was compassionate to me. He sent his son, the prophet unlike Jonah, to live a life of obedience Unlike Jonah, who ran from God, Jesus never once turned his back on God. But Jesus, what did he do? He went down, down, down. Ultimately, to death on a cross, away from the presence of his Father. And now everyone who repents and believes in him, the crucified and now risen Savior, they will be saved. Yes, our God's compassion is boundless. Yes, it is. What will happen to Jonah? We'll see in the rest of the story. But what will happen to us? What happened to me? God saved me. And he's sanctifying me and he will finish that work when Jesus returns. So as we come to the end, is the moral of the story, what do you think? Is the moral of the story, don't be like Jonah? In one sense, yes. In one sense, yes. We should learn from his bad example. There's a lot to be learned here. But the problem with don't be like Jonah is that we are already like him. We're already like him. Don't be like Jonah is not the answer. Ultimately, Like a mirror, these verses reveal how we all, like Jonah, run from God. And yet, as the book of Jonah unfolds, we'll see astonishingly good news. That our compassionate God will not run from his people. Amen.